Convicted and Convinced, a message from God's Word for you. And now, here's Dr. Lloyd Willis with today's lesson. Good morning, Sabbath School. Last week, we talked about the uniqueness of Scripture. And today, we move on to the origin and nature of the Bible, which are closely related. If you uh, notice the memory text, a statement from Paul to the Thessalonians, it says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. So if we really do believe that the Bible is God's word, then we will be much more likely to allow it to direct in our lives and in our beliefs. I'd like to read from First Peter, Second Peter, chapter 1, and beginning at verse 16. Remember Peter, a very... interesting fisherman, impetuous, and yet he's the one who makes some of these remarkable statements about Scripture. We'll read verses 16 to 18 first. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Obviously here Peter is remembering his experience on what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. And he and James and John were there with Jesus uh, through that experience. And uh, he's saying, this is reliable, this is sure, this is certain, because we were eyewitnesses. We saw it and saw the glory of Jesus uh, in the presence of the Father and being approved of the Father. So it's something definite and trustworthy. And yet, interestingly, Peter then goes on to say, However, there's something even more reliable than being an eyewitness. As we know, eyewitness is important, but uh, eyewitnesses can misunderstand or can misremember. And so he goes on to say, we have the word of the prophets made more certain. So here is something even more certain than, than our own senses. The fact that the scriptures are so reliable goes on to say, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation, or origination it could be. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 
We like the King James Version there. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, guided by the Holy Spirit. So here is the answer to the question, what is the origin of Scripture? It's where God has given a message to specially chosen men. In the King James it says, holy men of God. And then they were directed by the Spirit in writing it down. They were carried along by the Holy Spirit as they passed on this message. So the Bible, like any other book, according to the Apostle Peter, the prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit. Not like any other book, I should say. They did not invent it themselves. Rather than being cunningly devised fables, the prophetic message of the Bible is of divine origin, and thus it is truthful and trustworthy. So uh, we, can, we can trust the word because it has a divine origin. Yes, it came through human beings, but it was guided by the Holy Spirit in that process. In Second Timothy chapter 3, we go to Paul's point of view on this, talking to the young pastor, young Timothy. He says in Second Timothy 3, verse 15, How from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Timothy's mother and grandmother were Jewish, and they had brought the message to him about Scripture and its reliability. So he says, you've known this ever since you were, you were a child. And then it goes on to say about this Holy Scripture, it's just mentioned, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So all scripture is God-breathed. The King James says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God-breathed, given by inspiration of God. And uh, in the, the quarterly, uh, the note goes on to uh, comment on this. This is the reason why Paul states that whatever was written was written for our instruction, so that through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. The Bible points to God as its author, yet it, it was written by human hands. And in the varied style of its different books, it presents the characteristics of the several writers. The truths revealed are all given by inspiration of God, yet they were expression, expressed in the words of men. Hence the different styles. Peter and Paul write very differently, and, and so forth. Uh, John and Paul are quite different in their in their um, uh, wording, the level of education was so different. Peter and uh, John were fishermen, but uh, Paul was, was a scholar. It's very interesting that the, the descriptions given in uh, Great Controversy, that last was a quote from Great Controversy, page 7, and in the little book Selected Messages, volume 1, are very fascinating in, in giving insights into how the inspiration worked, how the Holy Spirit guided in this process. Not dictating, but uh, giving the message and guiding in its safe uh, expression 
for God's purpose, to meet God's purpose. The next section of the lesson talks about the written word of God. It's interesting that it refers to uh, um, Exodus 34:27. The Hebrews were renowned for memorization of Scripture. But in addition to hearing it, on so many occasions, God said, write it down, write it down, write it down. And there's a number of quotes here, write it down. The reason for that, obviously, is uh, a written word has more authority because it, it is uh, indisputable. Once it's written down, it's definite and clear, whereas that which is heard could be disremembered. So write it down. You have Exodus 17, 14 to Moses. Write on a scroll as something to be remembered. And uh, Moses wrote down, this is Exodus 24, 4. Moses wrote down everything the Lord had said. In Joshua 24, 26, Joshua recorded these things. So it's been put down by instruction from God. Jeremiah many times says, the word of the Lord came unto me saying, and then he gives the message, presumably in his own words much of the time, but it was important to him that it was God's word. And the New Testament likewise, uh, Revelation chapter 1 verse 11, write on a scroll as you see and send it to the seven churches. And uh, in uh, Revelation chapter 21 about the new Jerusalem, uh, John was told, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So uh, not only did the Jews memorize scripture, but uh, even in the Adventist church, J.N. Andrews was a phenomenal memorizer of scripture. They say that he could repeat the New Testament, uh, even the punctuation was clear to him. Uh, he said on the Old Testament, well, he's a little hazy in some places. That's amazing what what can be done now i just want to talk a little bit about the question you may have a question in your mind how did the old testament come into being who chose the books and put them together and uh, it's an interesting uh, um, topic to pursue the uh, first answer would be providence god directed in the affair and that's certainly true and that's of first importance. But in addition to that, historically, it was probably something like this. Moses was revered as one who had spoken with God on the mountain. And so anything that he wrote would be recorded and revered and preserved very carefully. So over a period of time, you would have the, the books of Moses added to by subsequent books as time passed and uh, until we get the full collection of what, in the way that we have it organized, is 39 books in the Old Testament and 27 in the New Testament. But when it comes to the Old Testament, that uh, was so long ago. Did they make mistakes? Did they include some of the wrong books? Or did they leave out some of the books that should have been there? That question has been asked. Uh, there are several books mentioned in the Old Testament that are not included in the Old Testament. There's the, uh, the book of the prophet Nathan and Gad the seer and several others, but they weren't included. Apparently, even though some of them were prophets who wrote them, 
uh, they were not seen to be necessary for the, the passing on of, uh, of truth to God's people in the future. But we do have some internal evidence within the Old Testament as to how this collecting went on. In uh, the story of King Josiah, who lived about 625 BC, around that time, in 2 Kings chapter 23, verses 2 and following, it describes what happened when this young king was uh, taking seriously the responsibility God had given to him. 2 Kings 23 and verse 2 and following. So the young king wants to do the right thing. He's got prophets and priests who are trying to guide him. And uh, it says in verse uh, 2, he went up to the temple of the Lord with the men of Judah, the people of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest, and he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, the book of Deuteronomy at least, possibly all of the books of Moses. And this led to a great reformation. So the, the fact is they had these books, they revered them, and when they read them, they realized that this was something that was important. It had God's authority, and so they should uh, take them very seriously. In, in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 2, it says, He studied the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet. So they're more or less contemporaries. And uh, Daniel studies the writing of Jeremiah to obtain further information. In the story of Ezra and Nehemiah, Ezra chapter 7 and Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1 and following, you have the description of the reading of Scripture publicly. Everybody that was old enough to understand stood there from daybreak until noon while the Word of God was read to them. So it's obvious they had the collection of books and the books were revered and were read in public from time to time. In addition to this, we have the, uh, the use of the Old Testament by Jesus, placing his approval on this collection, where he quotes from so many of the Old Testament books, some of them uh, over and over again, like Deuteronomy and the Psalms and Isaiah. But we also have some external evidence, in addition to this from within the Scripture. In uh, the second century, a man by the name of Ben Sirach uh, wrote a book, and in this book, he, he wrote about uh, Bible history, if you like, and records the names of the Bible characters, not all of them, but most of them, in the same order that they occur in Scripture. That shows that he must have had these books there readily available to consult. His grandson in 132 BC translated Ben Sirach's work and added a kind of an introduction and in this, he talked about the books that his father, his grandfather had talked about. And he says there was the law and the prophets and the writings, which is the same terminology almost that we have in Luke chapter 24, where uh, in verse 44, it says that uh, Jesus, in explaining things to his disciples, referred to the law and the prophets and the Psalms. The Psalms was the largest book in that third collection of the writings. In addition to 
this external testimony of people who saw and used the scriptures, we had the Dead Sea Scrolls, which uh, in 1947 and subsequently uh, turned up portions of every Old Testament book except Esther, at least a little fragment. In the case of Daniel, we have fragments of at least eight different manuscripts of the book of Daniel, which, which is amazing. And of course, Isaiah, we have a, a virtually complete copy and two others that are quite considerable sections of the book of Isaiah. And so uh, these books were collected, they've been confirmed, they've been commented on, and the scriptures, as we just read, have told us that they are reliable and useful for all these purposes, direction and, and correcting and so forth. So when was the canon actually closed? That's an interesting question, and we are not sure of all of the evidence, but it appears as though in the 3rd century and the 2nd century BC, by this time, the Old Testament had been assembled, and the Jews had the understanding that if it was a part of the Old Testament scripture, the Hebrew scripture, it should have been written by the Persian period, which is uh, well, it would end about 331 BC. So books that were considered had to have been written before 331 BC. They also had other uh, tests. They had to be uh, consistent, consistent with themselves, and consistent with the Torah especially. They had to have widespread acceptance. You couldn't just have one person favoring this book and another one that one. There had to be a kind of a majority uh, view as these scholars were, were looking at the different books. The uh, uh, other category was that they had to uh, have within them some indication that they were inspired, were special by content. So uh, the books were selected, were put together, and uh, they were translated from Hebrew into uh, Greek uh, in the Septuagint translation that was made between, uh, it's argued a little bit, but between about 200 BC or a little before and uh, into the first century BC. So in that time, the collection had already been put together, had been closed and was considered the scripture. Later on, the Jews did debate a little bit about five books in the first century. After the destruction of Jerusalem, the council was set up at Jamnia down on the coast, or Jamna, and uh, they discussed the scriptures. And uh, because Jerusalem was destroyed, they still wanted to make sure that Judaism would survive. And uh, in 90 AD and 118 AD seems to be the, the dates when these special councils considered the books of the Old Testament. And five books were questioned a little bit. Doesn't seem as though they wanted to throw them out, but they saw a little bit of a difficulty in these five books. And so they, they discussed it. How do we justify putting these in? One was Jonah because it included message to the, to the non-Jews. Uh, Ezekiel had some uh, descriptions of the temple that were a little bit different 
from uh, the original descriptions. Esther doesn't mention the name of God. And Ecclesiastes seem to be a little bit negative. And also uh, the book of Proverbs had an apparent contradiction in one place. So we have these, uh, these discussions that took place and they came up with the confirmation, yes, these are the right books. And I believe providence guided in those discussions and in those conclusions. For the New Testament, of course, we have the early Christian church wrestling with the issues. Uh, as long as it was written by one of the apostles and various other tests were applied, and so the New Testament was uh, put together in the same way to, to uh, supplement, complement the writing of the Old Testament. We can have absolute confidence that the scriptures have come from God, their origin in the uh, Holy Spirit guiding holy men of God gives us confidence. And as Paul says, they're all God-breathed. Let's read them, study them, and use them each day. This podcast is a service of the University Parkway Seventh-day Adventist Church in Pensacola, Florida. Our weekly podcasts are recorded every Saturday morning. Bible study begins at 9.30. The sermon begins at 11. You are invited to join us. We live stream the 11 o'clock service. You can catch that broadcast at our website, universitypkwy.org, or at Livestream. A library of previous messages is available on our YouTube channel and on our website. Thank you for listening.